0: The following is brought to you by Braided Media.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that it inspires you, because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MadeToLeadShow. Also visit our website, made to for more information about each episode. All right, thanks for joining us in another episode of Made to Lead. Uh, today, I'm happy to have with us uh, Kimberly Ofori. She's currently the head of growth at ScaleUp Nation um, in uh, the Netherlands. And uh, she is uh, half Ghanaian, half Surinami. Uh, which is an interesting small country in South America. Um, and uh, she's going to talk to us, of course, about her life, her journey. Uh, we're going to get into an amazing story that she has. Uh, so, Kimberly, I'm very happy to have you on the show this morning.
0: I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Asif.
1: All right. So as we usually do with with all of our guests, right, we, we want uh, to start to learn more about you right from the very beginning. So so talk to us about about how you grew up, where you grew up, um, how you ended up in, in the Netherlands, um, and uh, what it was like uh, as, a, as a child.
0: Right. Um, so, as you mentioned, um, I am based in the Netherlands, which is also where I was born and raised, uh, in Amsterdam specifically, which is the capital, uh, to my Ghanaian father and my Suriname mother, Um, So they were both immigrants Um, and came here at a very young age. My mother came here when she was 12 years old and my father came here when he was old enough to travel alone. So I believe he was around 18, 19 years old Um, and um, grew up with my older brother, um, uh, with my mother in Amsterdam and um, had a pretty standard upbringing uh, for for the most part. My mother was very hardworking, she had us very young. So she um, worked multiple jobs, but was very well off in terms of what kind of jobs and works that she was doing. Um, Always made sure that we uh, saw as much as we could from the world with the time that she had. So we traveled a lot uh, within Europe, but also to the United States and and, um, other places. Um, And so I think for the most part, I was raised having seen a very hardworking mother who was very intelligent, who was keen to show us as much of the world as we possibly could. Um, But also putting it into context, the Netherlands is a predominantly white country, as most countries in in Europe are. Um, And so being raised in um, a place where you're always the only a uh, black child, uh, in school, daycare, um, in work. That was something that, is, that, w- that we'll see as kind of a red thread throughout my, my, uh, my life and career that has influenced some of the decisions that I've made, but also some of the steps that I had to take in order to, um, to succeed. So um, summarizing, um, went to school um, in, uh, in, in Amsterdam I um, studied marketing and communication in um, in Utrecht, which is another town city. Um, and then at the age of um, 16, uh, credit crisis was full blown um, um, on a global scale, impacting a lot of people's lives, um, including my mother, who had then uh, started working at the bank. And uh, well, obviously, the financial sector was hit the hardest. So uh, we came into some really tough times um, where we had just moved to a new suburban area with, you know, a better house, but increased uh, um, expenses. And then uh, she ended up lo- losing uh, her job. And so at that stage in my life, I, I, that, that was probably the first decision that I had major decision that I made that uh, really formed the rest of my life, which was to decide not to proceed to college, hmm. but first... Um, help with the immediate needs that we have, which were financially. So I got a first job, and well, we'll probably dive a bit deeper into how that uh, went out from um, went from there.
1: Cool. Yeah, and, and and that's very interesting. And we all we all know what what uh, devastation that that global financial crisis uh, period back in two thousand and eight uh, caused. Um, you know, how did you how did you, you you know you you made a decision that okay, I'm going to Put my my own ambitions on hold just so I can help with the with the family. Um, how did your parents take that? How did your mother take that decision uh, uh, that you made?
0: Well, what's funny was that it was never a discussion. Wow. Um, so um, I had gotten my uh, diploma in marketing and communications, and then in the Netherlands, you can then proceed to to what uh, in the states is called college. Here we call it university. And so you could choose to start working. It's not something people don't do. Hmm. Um, Only I was very young and I had a lot of, um, you know, good grades and potential to do more academically. So what really happened is that I shifted from um, having, I started working at 14 actually. So at the age of 16, I had this part-time job that I decided to work full-time for a while. And the only thing I communicated was that, let me use at least six months of the of, of this the rest of this year to um, bring in some more money. And six months turned into a year, and that actually extended. And my mother saw the way that I was growing, and I was contributing, and I was still learning a lot on the job, getting all of the certificates that I could get my hands on to qualify professionally. Hmm. And so it was never actually a conversation that was had. It was a decision that I made uh, for a short term that – Kept being extended as I uh, as I grew.
1: Nice, nice. And and what was that job in? What 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 was the uh, industry? What was the role?
0: Yeah, so um, I was working at a, um, a life insurance agency at the time, um, and they were, I think, the number one also in funeral arrangements. Which was, it's a funny detail because it was pretty new at the time to have a, a funeral insurance specifically. Hmm. And so I was. Um, I started off as a part time, you know, um, for policy calls and all of that. And then when I said I am available full time for the job, they said, well, you need to qualify in order to be an actual insurance advisor. Uh, that's you're too young for that. You're not qualified on paper. You need a college degree. Um, and I was like, well, what does it take? Um, so after a few weeks of pursuing uh, and uh, pestering my manager, really, they said, well, you just take these examinations. We know you're not going to make it, but then, you know, at least you get you get that it's hard. Wow. Um, so I, I, I studied hard. I did all of the examinations. I got all of the certificates in a record period of time. I think what people usually take six months for, I did all of them in three months and now I was qualified officially. Um, and so they had to do something with me. Um, and so I actually uh, started working as an insurance advisor at that uh, at that firm, and then uh, later on proceeded to work at a, um, a similar company that was really a, a more nas- on a national scale um, in, in life insurance.
1: Brilliant, brilliant! What what a, what a way to start your career you know just yeah. circumstance and being so young did you ever have i mean you, you talked about the fact that they you know the, the the company mentioned that oh you know you they didn't feel that you were old enough to 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 hit uh, to become a financial advisor but were there were there any other challenges that you experienced while you were working because of how young you were
0: i think the biggest thing was constantly having to prove myself um, even though I was qualified now on paper, um, it was it was really about um, other people's insecurities being projected on me, mm. right? So we had all of these people at work their entire lives, maybe in their fifties, in their sixties, and now they were at the stage where I was in- entering their workspace. Um, and coming in and saying, hey, I can do this. And I have some tips, <laughs> you know. So it was really, um, those were kind of the hardest parts of people really feeling threatened or intimidated by my ambition and my drive, not seeing that I really had the best intentions for the company at the time. I think it was more of, of like this was so uncommon and so unknown. Um, but this young girl was just going to come in here and and understand and think, with us and make decisions with us on a level that we may have worked t- two or three decades for to get,
1: uh, get here. Nice. Nice. Cool. So, so, so after this insurance company and, you know, working in the financial services space for a minute uh, you, you then decided to, you know, pack up uh, from the Netherlands and move over to Dubai. Uh, talk about that, that experience <laughs> and, and, and what happened there.
0: I know it's uh, it's such a logical step to take. um, Actually, um, after the insurance company, I moved into banking uh, and investment banking where I qualified to be a financial advisor and a wealth manager, which also was another story of um, a lot of people not feeling that I was qualified. You needed to have these college degrees to get in. But I was persistent. I told them, again, if you allow me to get these certificates, I will show you that I can do this job. And so I proceeded to uh, rise in the ranks within the uh, investment banking space without the college degree, but with the qualifications. Um, But once I reached the kind of the top of where I could be in terms of private banking, I was like, well, is this it? This is, this is, um, it it was interesting to understand investments from another perspective, to be in that world, to see so much money flowing, things that I had never been exposed to in Mm. my upbringing, see so much wealth, see so much opportunity and options, what you could do with your finances instead of what we are being taught, spend it or save it. Right. Right. There was so much more out there. Uh, So that really opened my eyes, but it also kind of grew my ambition to, to then understand even more what is out there in the world. And so I actually went on holiday to Dubai and I saw, you know, you have to understand the Netherlands is a very flat country. There's nothing here. There are no, nothing even close to the skyscrapers that you would see outside of, um, of the, uh, Europe. And I came there and Dubai is all skyscrapers and it's all shiny and it's all gold. And I was like, wow, Like this is a completely different world. And I was so impressed, not just because it was all shiny, but also because I saw there was just such an energy of entrepreneurial spirit. There were so many different cultures working together. Mm. um, And there was just so much opportunity there because everything was new. The city was still being, is still to this day being built because it is relatively young compared to most cities that we know. And so I, I, I was there for a week and a half, and I told myself, I actually made a bet, and I said, if I can land a job, I'll stay. Nice. And so I decided to apply for jobs frantically whilst I was there. Um, instead of, you know, holidaying, partying, I was doing job interviews. And then um, I, I um, moved back to – I came back to the Netherlands being in, like, the final stages of interviewing with the global director of a company who was in the states so uh and they they offered me a job in dubai and so i said well then i guess i'll pack my bags so that's how that happened um but plot twist um i accepted the job they offered me great package it was including a house and including a car and and the salary was amazing um and so i didn't have to think twice about it i i canceled my rent um, at the uh, at the apartment that I had. Um, and I told my mom, you know what, I'm moving. Um, this is the address. Come see me. Um, and I left. And I, I landed and um, reported for work the next day. And the manager just looked at me pale white. And she's like, oh, you're here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, well, yes, you gave me a job, right? So I decided to show up.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. Kind of what we signed up on. Um, come and she sat me down and she was like, I don't know how this happened. Um, everything was such a mess. A week ago, we we guess we were planning to onboard you and, and we told you to come. Um, but I just came back from the UK yesterday and I was trying to call you while she were on the plane, apparently. Uh, to tell you that we had a falling out, we decided not to open the offices in Dubai that you were supposed to run. So technically, you're you're you no longer have a job.
1: Wow, wow, <laughs> wow! How how did that make like? What was your reaction in that in that moment?
0: I was I was I was calm to the point where the 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 director was very scared. She was like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I I sat there for a minute. I was like okay. Hmm. And then, and, and, and she, she looked at me, she's like, are you all right? I was like, are you all right? <laughs> I, I can only imagine how you must feel right now. That was my first reaction. I think, um, I don't know why, but I kind of just, I was looking at her and she looked, she, she felt so bad. And I said, you know, it's fine. Like I, I'm going to be fine. I'm just concerned with the way that you're looking at me. So that was the first thing she was like, no, I'm fine. I'm just, Really sad that it happened this way. I told them, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be fine regardless. I'll, 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 I'll find my way around. Um, but, yeah, it would have been nice to, to know this ahead of time. But who knows what it's good for. Right. So that's really how I left the conversation. She gave me – we went walked to the ATM together. She, I think from her personal account, she paid me my one-month advance salary, uh, put it in an envelope so I didn't have to walk with stacks of papers, um, and then I put it in my little uh, purse that I had taken to work and I went back to my five star hotel and decided the first thing I need to do is check out, nice. right? Cause <laughs> we don't have money now. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my, those were my first kind of steps that I took, um, from there.
1: So, okay, wow. So, so, okay. So you, you've, you made the decision to move, you know, effectively eight, almost a seven, eight hour flight away from where you're based. Um, you get there the job that you're supposed to have no longer exists. You're now (laughs) stuck in this country, right? Because, I mean, you have the option to go back and probably move back in with your mom. What did you decide to do at this point? Like, how did you then decide to proceed?
0: Yeah, quite honestly, I took a day to just be in the hotel room and reflect on what just happened. Mm. (laughs) And then um, the next morning I woke up and I said, okay, I have two options. Um, I can move back, um, probably, um, like you said, my, back with my mother in this case, because now I don't have the house, um, and start over. I can easily find another job, probably at the same bank I was working. Um, but uh, part ego, part ambition stopped me from making that decision. So ego part was like, I had this big farewell where I told everybody I'm moving to Dubai. My mom was all over town telling her her daughter is taking a leap and now I'm back in a week. <laughs> <laughs> and the other part of me was, um, what if I can make it? What if I can land another job here? What if I'll probably regret it for the rest of my life? If I don't even try. So I decided to, to, to go with the latter. And, um, it, fast forward to seven months of um, intense job interviews applications that were either non-responsive denied or final stage and then not making the the hot seat um it took me seven months of um staying in you know i don't know if you can even call it you know almost almost bed sharing, uh, hmm. situations, um, with, um, you know, host hostels and, and, you know, just to save money so I can move around, um, to go to these job interviews. Right. And I was actually living off of, you know, the complimentary drinks and cookies they were giving me during the interviews and <laughs> putting it in my bag so I could oh, eat it wow. later. And then using uh, tap water, boiling that, um, and then, having saving up you know instant noodles once a week so I could have a proper meal Hmm. so it was it was really intense um but I was determined and that's something that um I really developed whilst I was there that once I put my mind to it I'll make sure that um it happens or I'll even make I'll at least make sure that I've tried everything so seven months further along, I, was, I realized that the, one of the reasons that I was not getting a job was not just because it was very competitive because mm. everybody wants to work in Dubai and they had all everybody had better qualifications. Remember, mm. I did not have my college degree at the time yet. So I was being um, disregarded just based on the basis of that alone without all of the experience that I had. Um, I started to realize that I was also not making it easier for myself because I was isolating myself. I was not asking for help. And as an introvert, um, I find it very hard to engage in conversation with strangers and just be vulnerable in in, in environments that that I'm new in. And of course I'm in this completely different environment now. I don't know anyone. I don't have a network. And I was, also quite ashamed at that point now talking about months later to go back to the people in the netherlands or in my network and go like hey i need help i've actually not been all right Mm. Um, so it took me about six months to realize that if you're going to continue this way you are not going to land a job because you cannot do it alone so that was a real kind of mind shift that happened i had to sit myself down and say you know the worst that can happen is that you don't get a job and you have to go back. And if that's the worst, you can probably do something else. So I started to reach out to uh, people in the hotels that I, in the hotel that I stayed. I started to go on LinkedIn that I hadn't been using up until that time. And I just started to connect with everybody that I thought interesting um, that was already in the UAE, that were working in the industry that I was in. And then they directed me to the job that I took, which was uh, a consultancy firm in Dubai. They hired me on the spot um, the day that I uh, got the interview. Um, and I started the next day and I stayed there for three years.
1: Amazing. Amazing. What, what a great turnaround situation. And, and, and I liked what you, you, you mentioned and, and what you highlighted, asking for help. Um, a lot of the times, you know, in certain situations, even when, it, you know, we are do, doing well and it, it's not as drastic as, as your experience in, in Dubai losing a job on arrival, um, we don't reach out. You know, a lot of us sometimes don't reach out to close gaps that, that we may mm-hmm. have. So, so that, that's awesome that at least that you realize that and, and it ended up being that turning point uh, in, in your career yeah um, amazing so, so you, you spent three years in dubai right of course enjoying yes. the city doing the, the great work uh in this consultancy uh uh firm uh and uh you know then then you decide that okay you know i'm it's again time for another change um <laughs> you know so so what, what do you do then like where do you go um and and how, how does that begin the next chapter of of your journey
0: Right. Yeah. So it was really a personal decision. I, I realized that I was in a highly competitive environment all the time. I was the only, you know, wom- woman at that level where I was working at. Um, and it was just constantly competition. So after three years, I was I was just about ready to move to a, a next step that was going to really work more on what I would like to do in development myself. So, um, I said, I would like to move back closer also to family and friends, but I don't want to be in the cold in the Netherlands. So I was looking at, you know, what are cool places that I can just kind of rediscover what I like to do. Cause mind you, I've now been jumping on opportunity after opportunity because, you know, that's just kind of what was either presented to me or what I was searching for at the time, but I hadn't really done anything necessarily because that was my vision, my goal, my lifelong dream. So this was the period of time that I started to reflect on what, what is it that you really want and what is it that you're actually good at? Because now I have all of these skills. I can do advisory, I can do consultancy, I'm an investment banker, have all of these skills now, like, who am I? Mm. <laughs> that was actually the question that yeah. that brought up. So um, I ended up deciding on, on Malaga Um Marbella in Spain um, for the sunny side beaches and for um, you know it still being close to the Netherlands and also just being in an environment that was way more laid back than most of the other countries I could have chosen in within Europe um, very much slow slower in terms of um, yeah how, the lifestyle and what is important um, and when I moved there and realized very quickly that um, if I wanted to speak English uh, um, and have a job, then I, I was going to have to move to the big city. And I was really looking for that slower pace environment. Mm. So the place where I was, Marbella, was not suitable for expats who just don't speak Spanish fluently. So my Spanish was not uh, on the level that I could get a job. And that made me wonder if there couldn't be another way to uh, to tackle that. Because I speaking one-on-one with some of these companies, they were like, yeah, we would like to have expats because we have a lot of expats around here, but nobody applies for jobs with us, or they don't know that we're looking, or we can't communicate with them. So I was like, well, perhaps if there was a recruitment portal that uh, expats knew that there were off- that there there were companies looking for their expertise, and they were looking just for for bilingual people, they could find them. So I decided to create it when I found out that there was none. Mm. So I built this uh, recruitment platform. Um, and um, first time ever that I ever in, had anything to do with building any type of website um, or business, and um, that went really well. I taught myself how to to build the website through you know tutorials and courses online because I didn't have that much money to spend on a developer. And I also found it very important to understand exactly. How uh, people would experience the journey when they came to the platform, so that was important for me, so I launched that a uh, recruitment portal in Spain and it blew up very quickly um and I ended up selling that to one of the recruitment agencies um in spain
1: wow okay so so let us let's, let's backtrack a bit so so we, <laughs> let let's look at the the story that we've we've gone through so far, you know, start work at sixteen, you know without going to college. Jump into the insurance industry, then into investment banking, uh, then into consultancy in Dubai, and now you're in Spain. You've just, you've you've gone you know full circle. You you've now become effectively a tech entrepreneur, right? <laughs> Building your own platform, teaching yourself how to code, code, and you and and now you've exited a company. That I mean, how many people <laughs> do that in such a short time, uh, at such a young age? That that's impressive, impressive. Like, how, how did yeah. you? How did you? come about you know let's talk about even just the exit uh, of that company um, right what was the motivation at the time to say hey you know I think I'm ready to sell um, or you know was it you know that you wanted to exit or someone approached you and say hey we like this can we take it off your hands
0: yeah so it was really the latter the recruitment agency that I ended up so- selling today approached me but at the time uh, to answer your question of why I decided to then go ahead and do that it was really um, I had um, gotten so excited about the whole concept of me being able to build something from scratch, it being valuable enough for people to use it. And um, I wanted to do more of that. And so once the opportunity came for me to sell the platform, I had already been working on other things that I thought I could be building from scratch and tackle some of the, the gaps that I saw in the market. So I was on full entrepreneurial drive and I figured it's a nice cash injection and I'm actually ready to move on to the next project because it wasn't necessarily that I was passionate about the recruitment agency in that mm. sense. It was just an opportunity that I saw well, from a business perspective that would be valuable. So that's when I decided that, yes, I think it's time to sell. They are going to be uh, in a much better position to make this into something big. And that's obviously what their business is. And then I have time and money now to um, work on the next thing.
1: So, so what does that next thing turn into?
0: So, wow, that, that was an interesting space, uh, period of time. I actually started just... Pushing websites to the market. I was like, oh, I can do everything. So I had like web stores and I had like a, an AI backed platform for recruitment. I had so many different things. And then I ended up um, um, finding out that none of those things were going to work. It's just not that easy, hmm. right? I just got lucky the first time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that was an interesting lesson. Whereas most entrepreneurs learned the hard way that it's very hard to scale and sell even one business. Mm. I got spoiled with having success immediately. And so I thought I could conquer the world now. Mm. So I was, I was on a road of, you know, um, getting more humble as I, as, as more and more websites didn't see the light of day. Um, And then I realized that, okay, if I really want to pursue more of this uh, uh, entrepreneurial uh, skill that I've developed, this muscle, I need to do something that I'm passionate about, um, that I can actually invest my time in and that I would like to see grow um, instead of just thinking, oh, I can exit again. So um, the next thing then ended up being a, a digital platform for African entrepreneurs. And the reason I decided on that was because um, whilst I was in Spain, I was also researching, you know, what are the problems happening back on the continent? Um, Because I wasn't really that involved with what was going on in Africa Mm. uh, personally, but I I had gone back and forth uh, just on holidays. And I, because I was more involved in LinkedIn and I was in the tech space, I was now getting all of this news fed to me, right? About it's like, oh, there's this whole world going on. (laughs) Like, there's so much going on on the continent that we don't know about, especially not in Europe. So, um, I was getting more and more intrigued with all of the innovation and the new projects that were being set up from Africa. And I was like, I want a finger in that. I want something to do with that. I'm half Ghanaian. It's time for me to kind of go back to my roots and see where I can contribute or even learn. Mm. Um, So, um, I just, and whilst I was on that journey, I started reaching out to people on LinkedIn. But this time around, they were not so welcoming. Like I was reaching out with, you know, perhaps we can set up a call and talk about this business idea I had, and I was getting zero responses. Wow! And I was like, wow, this is different. Because I had banked on that experience from the UAE where everybody was like, sure, you know, I'll help you out. And now I'm like reaching out to um, people in Nigeria and Ghana and Kenya and then no response, South Africa. And I realized that there's just, just a different culture mm. and the approach needed to be different looking back, I also understand that I came in there very arrogantly thinking that I can just show up in somebody's inbox and go like, I have this great idea and Africa needs it. Like, (laughs) no, we don't. (laughs) So there was, there were so many layers to that, but it, it actually birthed the idea for me to build a platform that was less so, um, based on who you knew, um, as if you wanted to be an entrepreneur or you're already an entrepreneur in Africa or focused on Africa, there should be a way to connect with like-minded people more easily instead of all of these separate forums and just not getting the responses that you, that you need or not knowing how to approach them. So I wrote down this idea. What if we had a platform where um, African entrepreneurs could share where, what they were working on? without feeling um, isolated like you would uh, on LinkedIn. Mm and One of my biggest drivers in that was, if you're talking about uniquely African problems, thinking of a question that a farmer may have on how do you work, uh, how do you manage not having electricity um, for five weeks when you've just invested into uh, you know, a new tractor or something that needed mm. electricity or fuel or, or anything that you don't have access to for a long stretch period of time. It's not something you would typically put on LinkedIn. Right. This is something that is completely unrelated to what most of the people on LinkedIn are um, accustomed to. So you wouldn't have a safe space to share that question. Um, and you would probably not get a, a suitable answer and either way. So that was really my idea, to find a place where uniquely African problems could be solved by Africans. Because we know, we have experience, uh, we understand the context. So I started again to teach myself uh, 2.0 coding um, on how to build a social networking platform of sorts. Um, And after some time, I had my MVP ready. Um, I launched it. And I sent a bunch of people on LinkedIn a message and I was like, here, have a look. I think this is suitable all within Africa or in the diaspora. Mm. And overnight, the website blew up and I had like 6,000 applications to the website that I had to manually approve because I thought, wow. <laughs> I thought that I was going to manually curate who gets into the platform and now I had 6,000 people um, who wanted to join.
1: That's incredible. So, And and you call this, I, I believe it was the appreneur Network, right? Correct. Yeah, amazing. So, like, this is one of the again one of those interesting spaces in entrepreneurship where uh, you know most people uh, uh, don't necessarily always get to, but you know, launch clients, right? Yeah, six thousand clients on launch, I think, is supremely amazing. Yeah. Um, h- uh, how did you deal with growth after that?
0: Yeah, it was painful, honestly, because um, I was simply not prepared. Um, I had seen this as a project that I would ha- grow audiences organically over some time, um, and over some time meant over a couple of years. And so the, the, even if you think about it from a technical standpoint, the way I had built the platform was not remotely ready for the type of traffic that I was attracting at the time. Mm-hmm. So I had to, firstly, I had to quickly build a team, a technical team virtually because, I, again, I didn't have anybody in my surroundings that I knew. Um, virtually, I hired remote uh, developers and um, all of these people to help me, you know, build this platform more securely. So that was one thing that I had to do. So now I had expenses. <laughs> so it got serious. Yeah. Um, it's a real business now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, um, But I still made sure that I was very lean. You know, I only worked with people that I knew um and only for the hours that i really needed them um, and then as the as we grew i started leveraging the network and, and and looking at the kind of profiles that we had and we started to get more marketing um, uh, entrepreneurs and more online uh, experts and i started asking them to be you know part of the platform by sharing and curating content So without me having to uh, pay them large sums of money, I was able to grow ambassadors and actually team members from the platform, which was basically the whole idea of the platform in the Mm. first place. So I was able to use the platform to source team members as well. Um, And so this is how I approached the growth. And it wasn't something that I had planned out. I was just looking at, okay, I have this big problem. I'm all alone. Um, I haven't shared this idea with enough people to just start onboarding them. So how can I, um, get more ambassadors and people to help me? Um, so, uh, I started building a team first and then investors started to notice the platform. So then now investors wanted to join. And firstly, they were just kind of following what these entrepreneurs were sharing on the platform. Um, but they were also asking more about who is this, who's this girl, Uh, who's this person who launched the platform? Because mind you, I didn't share anything about who who was behind the platform. If I had not messaged you directly, you wouldn't have known it was me. Mm. It was nowhere on the website. There was no about page with me. It was just about what the platform was about. And so people were starting to ask like, who's behind this? Um, and I was like, I'm comfortable in the background. I don't need any attention. Um, you know, um, I'm not comfortable with sharing that much spotlight or sh- having so much spotlight on myself. Um, but people started to ask, you know, what's the, what's the end goal here? Like, where, what are you trying to accomplish with this? And I was getting interview questions in the info box because nothing personal. Yeah. Um, and so that is when I start, started to realize that I had to make a decision. Is this something that I see myself growing? Um, as a platform as a project that I could do for years and come out as the leader of the face of the platform or uh, or not and at that time I just was not ready Mm. for that exposure I was not ready to um, to be on the forefront of that and I think I was quite honestly overwhelmed at the time with how much would come with scaling this business Mm. so when uh, one of the investors again said you know what Uh, we'd like to buy this platform from you um, mostly because of the data that you've been able to acquire but also to understand more of this proposition and perhaps we can make a 2.0 version that looks way better than what you've done Um, and then use it for Africa and Asia which are similar debatable but similar economies so um that is actually how I decided to to engage in conversation with these um, investors and ended up selling uh, the platform.
1: Amazing! So an, another exit under your belt in in very short order, and 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 I believe you you exited to a to a, a bunch of U.S. investors. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Wow! Wow! That that's that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Quite <laughs> quite a journey, you know, in in and of itself. Um, so so now again you've got you know, a little bit more money, right? From from this sale, from this exit, um, you know, and you now find yourself in a situation where you've got to find something else to do now. Um, so, okay. so, so what was the decision uh, then uh, in terms of the direction that you were now going to head? This is what, like, you know, 2019, 2018 type of period. Right. Uh, you know, what did you decide to do next?
0: Yeah. Um, so it took me a while to really decide on what my focus would be. I think, to be fair, I'm still in that space, but I'm. it's, it's starting to become more clear. Um, so initially, what I decided was to bank on what I had been doing on the platform, which was coaching one-on-one the entrepreneurs on the lessons that I had learned from the previous company that I founded and what I was learning as I was building this platform. So it was, you know, helping with things on, you know, team building and on launching And on uh, scaling uh, operations, growth mindset, all of those things. I was doing those one on ones. And that was more of, or less like how I was keeping the lights on uh, whilst I was figuring out how I would proceed. Um, Then I actually started at MBA. um, And then um, the reason I mentioned this is because it was still so, so it still felt like there was this loose end Mm. that I had that kept coming back to me like, okay, you have all of these accomplishments. There's so many people who look up to you, but I still felt a void. And that was like, I cannot go back to my father who, you know, baptized me when I was born to be a lawyer and say, (laughs) at least, you know, I have this level of academic um, accomplishments. So um, I I briefly uh, flirted with this MBA and whilst I was doing it, I was like, I know all of this and more like I've <laughs> literally experienced this at this point. Yeah. So what is my ROI? If I'm not going to work at some corporate, then why am I doing this? So, um, I think half, no, maybe three quarters, no, halfway into the program, I decided, you know, I'm going to at least save half of the, 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 the um, money. And um, not pursue this MBA simply because I understood that I wasn't doing it for me. Mm. And if I wasn't going to do it for me, then it wasn't worth it. And also, um, I really wanted to make sure that I was investing my time more wisely this time um, and my investment. So um, I joined a company called um, Scale Up Company First. Um, because I was getting really intrigued uh, about h- how, how it's possible that there are so many companies that are failing every year um, after launch. Mm. So I really got into the scaling up uh, scene of things within Europe uh, as a scale-up consultant, working one by one, one-to-one with um, f- CEOs of fast-growing companies with revenues between 1 to 100 million euros. Um, on how best to structure their organizations for growth. And that was really interesting. I started to dive deeper into that. And quite recently, I joined forces with the team at Scale Up Nation, similar name, but not the same. Um, And they actually did research funded by the EU on what are the real bottlenecks and what are the real challenges that's impact scale-ups, scale-ups that are looking to change the world, uh, encounter, and how can we fix this? How can we help more companies to, to increase their impact? Um, and so I joined forces with them and there's where I lead, um, um, the team in business development, marketing, sales.
1: What, what, a, what a lovely experience that you've, you've gotten. I mean, this has been interesting, interesting story to, to just hear in terms of your life and your experiences and, you know, going from, um, uh, you know, uh, Turbulent time period in the world to being an entrepreneur with a couple of exits under your belt, you know. Let, let's talk about some of the things that you've learned, like some reflections and, and lessons. You know, what when you when you think about all of these challenges that that you've had to overcome, right? Um, as a as a black female entrepreneur, did that amplify those challenges, and and how did you go about navigating them?
0: Right. Um, to answer your question, first question, definitely, it did amplify those challenges. Uh, one, uh, understanding that we still have a few steps behind men in general, if you, are a, if you are a woman, and then adding to it the color of your skin, which is still in the Western world, at least, a disadvantage. Um, and so even though I don't perceive it that way, um, the way you are perceived in these, in these spaces is very important. And so I had always a very practical uh, example that I always give that most um, white people are shocked by when I say that is that I can't do casual Fridays hmm. because if I go to the office looking casual, I'm no longer professional. And they immediately understand it when I say it like that right. because I get approached and i'm now the intern or i'm the receptionist or i'm no longer you know on the management team because even though everybody else is casual i am perceived differently when i act the same way Amazing. and so <laughs> that is i think it it, ref, it ref, a reflection of how that has worked in every area of my career and my life mm. you know understanding that as a woman there are different expectations that are that society has set out for me you know, you have to hit certain milestones at a certain age in your life um, and your identity is very much tied uh, on things such as, you know, marriage or children or um, even now education is very important, but still not taken that seriously um, it's nice if you're highly educated, but how you treat, you know, if you're working full-time, you're a bad mother. If you're not working for, working full-time, then you're kind of a lazy ho- or just an easygoing housewife. So what is it? Hmm. And then you have the the, the 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 issue of being black in a predominantly white country where there are still so many stereotypes that are preventing you from having the same access and you have to fight for it every time a bit harder.
1: Right. Right. And, and yeah, th- those are very, very important points that, that you raised. I, I like that analogy of, you know, we can't be casual on casual Friday. <laughs> yeah. it's, I just can.
0: Yeah, no, that,
1: that's fantastic. So, so I mean, in, in going through your experience, right, you know, we always um, and, and we've heard the talk about, you know, mentors and mentorship. Um, did you have any key people or key mentors that sort of helped influenced how you uh you know, maybe managed your entrepreneurial businesses or made some decisions? And and how are you and I guess, you know, with your one on one coaching, I mean, we can look at that as, as a form of mentorship. But how are you sort of giving giving back in that space?
0: Right. So I had a lot of mentors that didn't know they were my mentors. That is one. Um, I did a lot of research online to find stories that were either similar to mine or completely different to mine from people that ins- who inspired me. Um, so through podcasting to, to interviews and in the specific industries that I was working in, so either in finance or in, in, in tech or female leadership. And so even though I don't even know many of them by name, I know that at some point in time uh, somebody inspired me um to learn more about their journey and what I do is I really submerge into their lifestyle mm. for a for a day or two and I go up and find out what was what were the decisions that they make made what was the path that they took and I really take out of that their life lessons and apply it to mine um i li- I read a lot of books um uh, well nowadays it's audio, but yeah. I still a lot of content that i take with me uh, every day to to stay sharp and to keep learning and to broaden my horizon and my understanding of things um and so there are many people that i that i take uh information from and inspiration from and that motivate me i think my mother was the greatest example for me of having that mindset of you know go for what you want you're going to make it happen regardless i think this was Probably the first sign of how that was instilled in me without me knowing it was in Dubai when um, I, I I was told that I didn't have a job and I was not even shook. Hmm. Uh, it was more, okay, this is the situation now. I'm going to assess it and come out of it. I was not at all concerned whether or not I would come out of it. I just had to figure out how. And so I think that is something that has has pushed me to, to the accomplishment that I, that I have today, um, giving back. I do, um, different things. I think, yes, I am a mentor at Founder Institute. I consult with Femstart, which is a female, um, uh, ed tech, um, accelerator. Um, I consult with, uh, an, a college. I am college in the, ne- in the Netherlands for entrepreneurs, um, and I do office hours where I can with um, African entrepreneurs on the continent or in the diaspora. Um, I try to share as much of the things that I have learned with the people that are trying to make a difference, um, and hopefully that 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 um, does its that does its work in the in the bigger picture.
1: Brilliant. So so as, as we as we wrap up, uh, just want to know you know what what's next for you now.
0: <laughs> Good question. So um, I think one major thing is as I am, uh, as I am growing um, our impact with Scale Up Nation and helping other impact startups to scale, um, I am also very actively working on two, um, two projects that involve amplifying um, or increasing financial access to, uh, for women uh, when it comes to entrepreneurs. Um, in Europe and in Africa, so I'll be doing. I'll be sharing more on that um, as the months go along. But I'm very much uh, focused now on using and leveraging my background in investing and also my current access to all of these uh, resources and uh, industry experts and channels to um, increase the access that women have to all of these tools.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Like, Kimberly, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, your story is really, really inspirational. Uh, but just before we let you go, uh, we're going to do uh, a little quick uh, segment called our rapid fire segment. I'm uh, going to ask <laughs> you five questions and you're just going to give me the, the you know, answers as quickly as, as you can. OK. OK. Uh, so the first one, what book are you currently reading? Becoming. Nice. Very good book. <laughs> Very good book indeed. <laughs> um and second question, how many languages do you speak? Four. Four languages. And what are they?
0: Uh so Dutch, English, um, Suriname, and German.
1: Excellent. Uh what would be your favorite place to escape to?
0: Ooh. Um Bahamas.
1: Nice, nice. Uh, and who do you, who would you say is your biggest cheerleader or supporter?
0: Wow. Mothers. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
1: Excellent. And, and the last one, if, if money or resources were not an issue, uh, what would you do?
0: Um, I would travel the world
1: excellent that's always a good one for sure for sure <laughs> well Kimberly thanks again for joining us uh, really appreciate your story this has been really inspirational and I'm sure that there's someone out there that will definitely resonate with with your experience with your journey um and as we always say you know you were made to lead and we will keep track of your progress and support you all the way through
0: thank you so much for that Aziz it was a pleasure
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Made to Lead. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please share with others. Also, take a moment to leave a review as well. This helps us improve and also get discovered by others. You can also support by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show, and by visiting our website, madetolead.co. If you would like to be featured or know an amazing person of African descent whose story would be inspirational to others, I'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, madetolead.co slash getfeatured and send us a note. As you continue on your own leadership journey, remember that if you don't spread your wings, you'll never know how high or how far you can fly. So stretch your feathers because you were made to lead.